Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast with your host, Adam McAtee. This podcast provides you the tools and confidence to become a fearless and evidence-based Pilates instructor, which is exactly why we're going to dive right in. Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates podcast. We have another juicy topic in store, but before we get into the nitty gritty, um, just I just want to let you know that this podcast is my gift to the Pilates industry. Okay, the, uh, the Pilates industry has given me so much. This is my way of giving back, and you can give back to the Pilates industry as well by taking a moment to provide a five-star review to this podcast, which allows us to to grow and reach more Pilates instructors. And when we reach more Pilates instructors, we can have a greater influence on the industry to grow by using science-based tools. This is something uh, like a really small action that you can do right now that can have a trickle effect throughout the industry. Uh, But with that said, let's go ahead and dive into it because today, we are going to talk about what almost every client wants, which is how to get muscles stronger. I know muscles getting stronger is like not the only th- the only reason why people come to Pilates. I know that, but like it's pretty freaking important to most people, which is why we're dedicating an entire episode to it. What we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about like like why should we get muscles stronger, right? What does it mean like to, to get a muscle stronger and then how do we do it? Okay, um, so first of all, okay, uh, we want to get muscle stronger uh, because, well, one, it, it can improve quality of life, right? Like if you're strong, you can do more things, so you have less limitations. And and as time, like that's that's good at any age, right? I want to be strong at 22, and I also want to be strong at 82. Um, right now, I've, I'm strong at 34, <laughs> right? But um, so so with this, we want to go ahead and be strong at any age, and it becomes more more important as time goes on because. We end up, we, you could lose strength for activities of daily living, right? We can't open a jar. It starts with like that damn jar of peanut butter. And then it turns into like dropping the morning coffee. And then I can't grab things. I can't drive. Uh, and, and people could lose independence. So with this, we want to go ahead and, and not only uh, generate strength, but maintain it uh, throughout the lifespan. And even just outside of like qualitative measures, meaning like, um, how, like, like how we like to use our strength. Um, just strength alone is a predictor for mortality, right? So, so if people, if someone was like sedentary and then they all of a sudden only did strength training, it increases or, or it, it decreases their chances of dying in the next, I think it's like five years uh, by 17%. That's strength training alone. They could be totally anti-cardio, right? Like in cardio is one of the best things you could do. If you did strength and cardio, it decreases your chances of dying by 40%. Um, so cardio is super good, but we're going to go ahead in this episode and just talk about strength. Okay. So strength can help improve the quality of life and the amount of years that an individual lives, which becomes more valuable as time goes on. Right. Uh, so those kinds of things are more important to like a 54 year old than they might be a 22 year old. And in, in our clients, a lot of times in, in the Pilates industry, you know, are like 30 and up. Right. Um, so, so anyways, it's important. Um, with that, we also have activity guidelines, which I dedicated an entire episode to before. Activity, within the activity guidelines, okay, uh, or just the activity guidelines in general, it's 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise plus two resistance training sessions per week. Uh, there's more nuance to that, but that's like the short end. And, and part of that is two resistance training sessions per week. 
the way they define that is two resistance training sessions per week. Like each resistance training session takes all major muscle groups to fatigue. And by fatigue, they mean like you're, you're almost at failure. And we're going we're to talk about that, how that, how that is, is uh, not always how we, how we challenge muscles in Pilates. A lot of times we go to the burn and we're freaking good at it and it's freaking healthy. But we also need to go ahead and take muscles uh, to failure, especially if our clients are not doing other resistance training. So why do we want to get muscles stronger? Because people will live a better life and a longer life. Sign me up for that, right? Um, but then uh, we got to understand how to do it, right? And in order to understand like how a muscle gets stronger, like we should understand a muscle first, right? Got to have like like whenever you know a concept, okay? If you know the basics, like the fucking back of your hand, right? Sorry for the cursing. Um, if you know the freaking basics, okay, you'll understand the complexity. It's so much easier, okay? The big problem is that we end up skipping basic knowledge and then we get caught up in nuances of more advanced things, right? That's like, like last episode when I was talking about posture and pain. A lot of times, like if we just knew the definition of pain, that it's sensory and emotional, we wouldn't be saying posture is the problem, right? Because posture doesn't have any emotion, even though emotions influence posture. But anyways, so knowing like really basic knowledge. So like what's really good to know about a muscle is a muscle, for our sake, we're gonna say it has one job. A muscle has one job. You know those memes where it's like, oh, you only had one job. Muscles just have one job and their job is to shorten, right? It's called a contraction, right? To contract means to shorten. So muscles, they're not gonna, they don't um, twist. Uh, they don't take a right turn. They also don't generate force to get longer. We're gonna talk about eccentric contractions, but it's not because of the muscle why it eccentrically contracts. When a muscle contracts, it, sh it shortens, okay? Um, so, so that's what it means. Like that's the action of a muscle, that's its job. Its job is to shorten. And then when you know that, it becomes easy to learn, it becomes easier to learn a muscle anatomy uh, that is useful for a Pilates instructor. So, so there's a certain level of detail that's useful and then there's a certain level that's nuanced, right? Like you don't need to know the exact tubercle that a muscle attaches to. Like you're not a surgeon, like you're not, gonna, you're not putting, you're not like atta attaching that muscle back onto the bone, right? Surgeons need to know the, everything. <laughs> they should know everything. But here as like movement educators, we just kind of need, we just need to know like um, what joint that muscle crosses and what side of the bone it's on, right? So if a muscle crosses a joint, it's going to move that joint, right? So like your muscle, like, like your biceps, they cross the shoulder and the elbow on the anterior side, right? So we, so we know it. they cross, they cross two joints, right? And they're, they cross them on the front. That's important, okay? Because when they shorten, if you just know that, you know nothing else, <laughs> you know nothing else. You just know a muscle shortens, a muscle is on the anterior side of the elbow uh, and the shoulder, and then um, it, it crosses the elbow and the shoulder. You can, you can tell that it's gonna bend your elbow, right? It's called elbow flexion. It's gonna create elbow flexion. Then it's also going to create shoulder flexion, which happens to be the biceps, uh, biceps brachii's action. It also does supination, but I didn't wanna get too nuanced. Um, so, so with that point is like a muscle shortens, that's its job. 
And then uh, if it crosses the joint, it moves, it moves the bones at that joint. And then you just need to know what side of the muscle is on and you can figure out that muscle action. Okay? And when you, fig when you know a muscle's action, you then know how to load that muscle. Okay? That is just understanding very basic concepts. And then like next time you go on Instagram and you see this like cool exercise, and you're like, oh my God, what's that exercise for? You can figure it out, right? Well, where's the load coming from? And what muscles? What muscles are opposite to that load? Which we're gonna talk about in more depth. Um, so so we'll, you can know a muscle's action, okay? By knowing what bone, what joints it crosses and what side of the bones the muscle is on. That's literally what you need to know for muscle action. Okay. So next time you look at like an anatomy book, look at that, right? Or anatomy, you know, video, whatever it is. Just look at that and you can see the direction of the fibers. Okay. Muscles, muscles shorten and they shorten along their fibers. Now, now when we talk about shortening, there's three, there's three contractions, right? Because sometimes like when this concept is new, it's like, no, that's a lie. Because I can um, do, I can hold and my muscles are working. And um, when, sometimes when my arm's straightening, my bicep is burning, right? It, it's working, but my, my bicep's getting longer. This makes no sense. So there are three types of contractions, okay? There's, uh, there's concentric contractions, you have isometric contractions and eccentric contractions. They, they, they're all healthy. <laughs> like do them all, you do them all all day, but when we're doing like exercise, right? Go ahead, we can bias, right? We can bias this. So a concentric contraction means that the force of the muscle is stronger than the external forces. And external forces means like forces that are outside of the body. So if we use the bicep as an, as, um, an example, okay? And we're gonna use the bicep as an example at the elbow joint. So we're only talking about elbow flexion. If our bicep's contracting, and we flex our elbow, flex means to bend, right? So your hand comes like to your shoulder. If, it, if, it's, if you're flexing the elbow and the hand goes to the shoulder, that's a concentric contraction of your biceps because your biceps, okay, biceps brachii, it is shortening and therefore it's pulling the forearm up because it attaches to the forearm, okay? Now, if you're bringing your hand down slowly, right? You know, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, pull the strap to you and then like extend the strap slowly, like in a biceps, in a um, Pilates exercise. What that is, is an eccentric contraction. So if I'm lifting a dumbbell, like I'm standing upright, I'm lifting a dumbbell, I'm, um, I pulled the dumbbell to my shoulder, right? That's the concentric contraction. Then if I'm like lowering it, but I'm like slowly lowering it, Okay, that's an eccentric contraction. Now, what that means is the weight is actually stronger than the force of my biceps at that time. Because my biceps are trying to shorten. They're generating force, but that force is less than the weight, so the weight wins. And the weight is bringing my hand down to the ground. Okay, like if you drop a weight, it goes down to the ground, right? It's common sense. Okay, because the definition of a weight is mass times gravity. And gravity is always going down, right? So if, I, if, you just, if you're doing a biceps curl and you just let go of the weight, 
the weight goes down really fast, right? You drop it, it goes down the speed of gravity. Now, if you're lowering the weight, the force of your muscle is slowing that descent. But the weight is stronger than the, than the force from your muscle. That's what an eccentric contraction is, okay? Now, if your muscle is stronger than the weight, okay, then that's concentric contraction, okay? So concentric contraction is like your muscle wins <laughs> against whatever is in your hand, okay? Then if an eccentric contraction of the biceps would be like the weight is winning, like your muscles trying really hard, you know, to, to go ahead and shorten, but it can't, it can't generate enough force. Yeah. So that's like concentric and eccentric contraction. You can, even if that's like makes you googly eyed, well, one, I have a course called uh, building strength and muscle and Pilates. Uh, it's a four or five hour course, something like that. Um, and we go over this stuff in great depth. Like you'll know this by the back with the back of your hand. Um, so that course is in the show notes if you want it. Now, so we have concentric contraction and we have eccentric contraction. Okay? Concentric is like you're shortening and then eccentric is uh, you're trying to shorten but you can't. Then you have isometric, right? Isometric means like you're trying, like you're contracting but you're staying still. So that would be like um, when you're bending your elbows and, and if you've ever done like bicep curls like class and they're like, I'm gonna burn your muscles. They'll have you do like an isometric. So you bend your elbows at 90 degrees and you hold it there. And then it's like, it feels like the end of time, right? And your, your arms are dying. Well, that's because your, your biceps are working, but they're not shortening. They're, they're trying to shorten, but they can't. They're not getting longer either, okay? They're just staying still. Okay, so that's an isometric. Concentric is shortening, eccentric, it's getting longer, and isometric, it is staying still. Now, in an isometric contraction, your muscle is, is producing the same amount of force that, your, uh, that whatever the external environment is applying. So if I'm holding a 25 uh, pound weight isometrically, my biceps are producing 25 pounds of weight, okay, or force. Now, if I'm holding a 25 pound weight and my biceps produce 30 pounds of force, that's a concentric contraction because 30 wins. If I'm holding a 25 pound weight and I'm only producing 10 pounds of force, the weight wins. So that's going to be an eccentric contraction. Okay? So, um, so I hope that that's helpful just in terms of like the three types of contractions. And what, what's, where this is like applicable, because some things are just kind of like useless knowledge, right? Um, what, like we're going to talk about types of fibers. That's fucking useless knowledge. Um, but uh, for us at least. So, so, so with this like eccentric contractions, you can generate more force. Okay. So you can load a muscle more in the eccentric phase. Like, like, like if you're trying to learn how to do push-ups, right? You know how like when you do like, um, like kneeling push-ups like forever and then you try to go to straight leg push-ups and you still can't do it. Not you, but like maybe a client. Um, a good way to learn how to do a full push-up is to just do the full push-up eccentrically and then kneel for the concentric phase. So a push-up would work like shoulder flexors, right? Other things too, but let's like the, let's just say shoulder flexion. So what you go ahead and do is like on the way down, your shoulders are extending. So you're in a plank position. 
you go ahead and you go down slowly, right? And now how many times have you like tried to go back up from a push-up and it can't? Of course not, right? I was not, of course not. But the one reason why is because that would be the concentric phase. So on the eccentric phase, you can go down at a full plank push-up, then just have your client put their knees on the floor and push back up in a kneeling plank. That's an example of like where the eccentric contraction knowledge is actually useful. You can load the eccentric phase more. Now, um, like and I talked about how like muscle, like useless knowledge, right? Because there's there's some use, there's a ton of useless knowledge, and then there's like a little bit of really useful knowledge that you can use in um, in the studio. So like useless knowledge would be like slow and fast twitch fibers. The only reason why I'm talking about it is like I felt like if I wasn't, if I didn't talk about it, people would ask me about it. Um, slow twitch fibers are like they're called like type one fibers. They they're like your fatigue resistance fibers. They contract slower but they generate less force, right? So they're like your, like your long-term endurance kind of muscles, uh, muscle fibers. And then you have fast twitch fibers. There's like fast twitch, I think it's like 2A two, two and then 2B. Um, there's slight differences between them, but essentially they're, they fatigue faster, but they can also generate more force. Um, this is useless because like, um, when am I gonna be in the studio and be like, I'm gonna target your slow twitch muscles? muscle fibers or, or that I'm going to test to see how many slow twitch muscle fibers you have versus how many fast twitch. Like, I'm just going to increase your cardio. <laughs> like, like, like knowing this knowledge changes nothing about, about our, our treatment. It's kind of like, like fascial slings. Like, like, oh yeah, it's nice to know, but like it changes nothing um, about, about what we're doing. Uh, cause, but anyways, so, so that's kind of, so slow and fast twitch muscle fibers, um, it, let's, we're going to put that in like the nice to know category um, and, and then we'll move forward and I want to talk more about like things that are actually useful. Now, something that, that's really useful is understanding that conscious contractions are inefficient, okay? Use your blank, blank, blank to do blank, blank, blank is saying let's move inefficiently which isn't always a bad thing, because sometimes maybe you want to, right? But, but it's important to know that if you're looking for, like if we're really looking to build strength, we're trying to load a muscle as much as possible, and therefore we wanna be as efficient with our movements so then we can add more load and therefore get stronger. So um, a good way to do this, like don't do this if you're driving, but if you're like, like if your hands are not busy, this is a good activity. Okay, this is an expression of what's called Sherrington's law um, of irradiation. So, so if you just have like your arm bent, okay, if you have your arm bent and you can feel like your biceps and your triceps, right? Your biceps live on the anterior side of your humerus, so upper arm on the front, and then your triceps live on the posterior side of your humerus, which means the back of your upper arm. If you just like let those muscles be relaxed and you like you palpate them, palpate means to poke, so you're just kind of like touching them with your other hand and you try to contract your biceps, like only your biceps, only the muscles on the front of the arm, try to contract them 100% of the way, right? You're gonna notice that your triceps will pop into the back of your hand, okay? Every time, okay? When you try to fully contract, you're trying to squeeze your biceps, okay? You're going to recruit other muscles around it, right? That's Sherrington's law of radiation. You, you do contract your biceps, but because you're, you're consciously overriding um, your, your motor planning, meaning like, like how you would just move normally, 
uh, we do it less efficiently. The reason why this is less efficient is your biceps and your triceps are what's called antagonistic. And that's just like a word that means they do opposite things. So if I'm trying to like, um, it's like driving with the handbrake on. Like your car can still go, right? It's still gonna move forward. It's just gonna move a lot slower and you're gonna burn a lot more gas, okay? Uh, but we're not machines, we're humans, right? So that's not always the best analogy. Um, but if you think about bending your elbow, right? You're flexing your elbow. Your triceps extend your elbow. If you're standing upright and you're doing a biceps curl, your biceps bring, um, bring your hand up. And they bring your hand up against like a weight, which is trying to bring your hand down, right? So down would equal resistance, whereas up would equal assistance, okay? Now, if you're standing upright and your arm is bent, your triceps bring your hand down. So they would be applying, they, they would be applying resistance to the biceps. So if I'm squeezing my biceps, I know I'm also squeezing my triceps. So I'm doing a bicep curl, I'm squeezing my biceps, right? It's making it harder to lift the weight, okay? And what that means is that I can't load the muscle as much, right? I can't, I can't lift as much as heavy of weights because I'm, I'm fighting against the resistance of my triceps and the resistance of the weights, okay? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, it is inefficient because it means that I have to use more energy to achieve the same task. And a lot of times we are talking about creating more efficient movement, especially when we're talking about like endurance athletes or maybe just like someone who wants to increase their endurance in life. Uh, we want to go ahead and choose the, the most um, efficient pattern as possible so you lose so, so you don't use as much energy to achieve the same uh, task. But like I said, um, it isn't necessarily always a bad thing. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. This is my way of giving back to the Pilates industry. This industry has given me so much in my lifetime and you can give back to the industry as well by giving this podcast a glowing five-star review, which allows us to reach more Pilates instructors. When we reach more Pilates instructors, we can have more of an influence on the Pilates industry and encourage the industry to grow by using science-based tools. And this is actionable right now. You can pause this, just give a double tap on the five stars and it can have an incredible impact. Uh, but with that, let's get back into the action. So this leads us to talk about the definition of like strength, hypertrophy, and endurance, right? They're all super healthy, like do them all, right? But this is just about like, like uh, obtaining knowledge and then being able to make a decision based on that knowledge. So, so strength is the maximum force that you can apply onto an external object one time. It is the maximum force. And if you want to be able to apply the maximum force, you want to be efficient with your energy because you want your force to be applied uh, as efficiently as possible onto that object and therefore more force is applied, more strength. Strength is the maximum force you can apply onto an external object one time. Okay, not two times, one time. Okay. Now endurance is, it is applying a sub maximal force for an extended period of time. 
And so uh, what submaximal means, like, because we're applying a submaximal force, that is uh, like less than maximal, right? Sub means underneath, maximal is the most. So it's, it's less than strength, right? So, so if you can do it like two, three, or four times, technically it is, it is endurance, okay? But endurance, what, what, what's key with this is that you do it for an extended period of time, right? So we usually measure like endurance activities with, with time, sometimes really high reps, but really high reps takes a long time. So like a classic example is like holding a plank is, a, is an endurance activity, not necessarily a strength activity. Now, now I'm just putting these in boxes for like learning because in learning we're like this goes in box one, this goes in box two. And then like the reality of it is that they're all mixed together, right? So whenever you're building strength, you're also building endurance. So, so, so this is really just separating them out and then we're going to talk about biasing them. But you're always working, you're always working them both. Now, so that's strength and then endurance, right? Endurance is submaximal force for an extended period of time, usually measured by time, such as planks. Now, we also have hypertrophy, right? Um, hypertrophy means uh, building more muscle mass, right? So that's, that's just like, an, like hypertrophy is an objective measurement, right? You can measure the mass of the muscle and that's hypertrophy. You, like, like that is the objective measure. And so, so with this, um, hypertrophy and strength, they're like highly associated, right? Like if you have two people lined up, like person on your left has like tons of hypertrophy going on. And then person on your right does not have a lot of hypertrophy. And someone said, who is stronger, right? Who has the most strength? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and choose the person with more hypertrophy, right? I may not always be right, but like I feel pretty safe with that bet. If I did it 10 times, I'd probably win 10 times, maybe nine. Um, so with this, there's like, there's just a slight difference, right? So hypertrophy just means more muscle mass. Strength is the maximum force that you can apply onto an object one time. Now strength for strength, we want to be more efficient and hypertrophy. You don't necessarily have to be right. You can actually do this, the inefficient movements and build hypertrophy, right? Cause I like back to our biceps example. If I'm lifting a 25 pound dumbbell and I want to make that harder on my muscle, on my biceps, I would contract my triceps too, because now my biceps has to lift my triceps, the force of my triceps plus the weight. Okay? And as a result, you can get identical um, hypertrophy benefits from uh, like an, in, that's an internal focus as you would an external focus, right? So you can be efficient or not efficient and still achieve hypertrophy. The key with hypertrophy, right, is that you stop because you either went to failure or you went really close to it, right? Like two reps within failure is the state of the current literature. Now, what failure means is you cannot, not that you don't feel like it or it's uncomfortable, you cannot produce any more force to achieve the task. Like you literally can't lift that weight up again. Like it, 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 you don't have it in you. Okay. Doesn't matter the motivation or anything. You don't have it. That's failure. Now, a lot of times when we stop doing an exercise, especially in Pilates, we're really good at endurance. Okay. We're really good. Um, muscles burn, right? When muscle, like, like, like my, my butt is on fire. I can't do another rep. It's so uncomfortable. Right. But if you were like super motivated, right, you could probably still go. It's just uncomfortable. That's endurance. 
Here's a classic example. You're like laying, like let's say, like, like close your eyes, and like, like not if you're driving or doing something, but like imagine, right, in your mind, that you are like in Pilates class, you're doing side-lying legs where you're laying on your side in a reformer class, you've got your foot in the strap, and you have like too many springs on, but you don't feel like changing it. And you're doing the leg um, exercises, like front sweeps, some circles, whatever. Your, your butt is on fire, and you are ready to quit. And then the instructor comes up to you and starts to use you as the example for class. All of a sudden, you have more social pressure to go ahead and do more reps. You can. Now, in hypertrophy, you wouldn't be able to, right? The instructor would be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and you're like, I can't lift my leg. Like it doesn't work, that's failure, okay? Endurance just means like you can still do it for that, that demonstration that the instructor's making you do, but you are like biting your freaking t-shirt or something, like it hurts, <laughs> okay? That's just how, how they're different. Um, so for strength and hypertrophy, right? They're, they're really similar, but hypertrophy, you can actually achieve hypertrophy at any repetition range. It's called the hypertrophy continuum. So you could do like 25 reps of something, and as long as you stop, because like you can't do another one, okay, or, or really close to it, you can build, you can bias hypertrophy. Now, strength is specific, okay? Strength is the maximum force you can apply into an object one time, and the law of specificity, um, in a very general sense, states like if you want to get good at a thing, you have to do that thing, right? If you want to get good at climbing stairs, you have to climb stairs. Yeah, I love footwork, but that's not going to help you get upstairs. Climbing upstairs is going to help you get upstairs. So strength, if we want to, we're like we're talking about exerting maximal force, we need to do something really similar to exerting maximal force. So the general rule of thumb is like keep like keep the load so high for strength that your rep like you cannot do more than ten repetitions. Okay, I'm thinking like every spring on single leg footwork. I know not for everyone, but like, let's just pretend, right? That's like, you, that's like more than normal. Like if we had 100 Pilates instructors, we said, what's the spring for single leg footwork? Um, really bright ones would say it depends because that's the answer. But um, if, we got a, if we got a number, it probably wouldn't be all of the springs, right? Probably like three or something. Um, so when we're talking about strength, I'm like, put on every spring. And like, you can only go out like eight times, right? And then on your ninth one, you try to push the bed out and you can't, right? That is when we've provided enough load to stimulate that muscle. Because at the end of the day, muscles don't get stronger because you activate them. It is a logical fallacy, meaning it makes sense, but it's not true. Activating muscles does not stimulate muscle growth. What stimulates muscle growth is enough load on that muscle where it is fatigued. And by fatigued, I mean you are either at failure or you are a repetition or two right before it. In the way that you can see that in a person, well, it's, it's almost like a, like a um, traffic light signal, like green light, yellow light, red light. Green light is like their form is incredible, right? Oh, that knee alignment's great. Facial expressions, they're cool, right? Like everything looks great, like we're happy. Then yellow light, 
like, like, like at the beginning of the yellow light, let's just say they're doing like single leg footwork, their facial expression gets weird, right? And then their knee starts, like their foot starts to do funny things and their knee starts to kind of go side to side. Like they have like alternative movement patterns. And, and a lot of times um, we're taught to kind of stop there. Like we have to stop when the form stops. And that's, the, that's one reason why we don't bias strength in, in Pilates sometimes. Not you, I mean, not, you know, something else. Um, but that is like, that's one reason because we don't go beyond that. Right? You have to go beyond that. You, did you hear that passion? You have to go beyond that to provide enough stimulus to get the muscles stronger. Okay? So if we're saying we're getting muscles stronger, we need to provide enough stimulus to actually get them stronger. So our, at the beginning of the yellow light is like the knee starts to do weird shit, right? And the facial expressions get kind of weird. Now, the, when we get to like the end of the yellow light, you know how like it's like, ooh, I'm going to punch it and, and like maybe I'll get past the red light? So the end of the yellow light is uh, like the speed slows down significantly, okay? Like you have an extremely noticeable reduction in speed. So that means like your client's trying to open the carriage and then they're doing it, but it's, it, it's really slow. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you're gonna make it. And then they make it, right? What, that's, what that tells you is that they only have like one or two repetitions left in the tank. So you can stop there or you can go ahead and take them all the way uh, to failure, uh, whatever would work well in that scenario. So just like recap that concept, because that's big. If you grasp that, you win. Okay. So um, strength. Okay. When we're talking about getting a muscle stronger, we're talking about strength building. I'm not talking about right and wrong way to exercise. I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm just saying like, if we're going to say we're going to get someone stronger, we should know the definition of strength. And then we should know how to get a muscle stronger in accordance to that definition. Right. So, so we need to provide enough stimulus to go ahead and recruit all the muscle fibers, not because we consciously contracted it, but because the stimulus requires it. Okay, the exercise is so demanding that we have no choice but to recruit all of our muscle fibers and we can go ahead and get them all recruited and fatigued and fatigued in less than 10 repetitions. Now, sometimes you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm going to get you, right? And, uh, and like, like, this is a bit strength building. And then your client's a badass, right? And they knock out like 17 or 18 reps. That's fine. Okay. First of all, uh, I, I, it's like if you shoot, you know, if you shoot for the moon, you fall amongst the stars. If you shoot for strength and you miss, you'll just fall into hypertrophy, right? Like it's not a big deal. Right. But, but I don't want to help you if you're like, oh, well, I think it is a big deal. I'd like to buy a strength a little bit more. If you, if, if your client does 18 repetitions, when you thought that they were only going to get 10 in, what you do is you add load, right? Like you, you add another spring. Yeah. In, in our case, you add another spring or maybe you straighten the arm more, the leg more, it depends on the exercise. Now, now this is where like with the legs, the, like we have to acknowledge limitations like of, of the reformer. I'm just gonna use reformer as an example. The reformer is awesome. I do reformer workouts multiple times a week. I jump on for feet and straps, conference call, like, like a phone call with like my mother. Oh yeah, I'm doing feet and straps. No problem, mermaid, sign me up. I freaking love the reformer, but it's also important to recognize that you, me and the Pilates industry has a bias towards Pilates that it's good for all things. And, but there's, it's actually very limited. Um, 
uh, very limited in, in, leg, in leg strength building or lower extremity strength. So, so you, we only have five springs. Like the average reformer only has five springs. Yours might have four and then Sarah's might have six. But like if we average out a thousand reformers, it's going to be right around five. So let's just say we have five springs. Um, I'm, I'm relative, I'm like, I'm like normal. I'm like a normal 34 year old and I can bang out well over 10 single leg footwork on every spring on my reformer and I have stronger springs because that's my bias. Okay? It's not the greatest leg strength building for me. I can, I can get some strength, but I'm not going to bias it as well as I could doing other things. So if you're working with a client and they're doing like 17 single leg footwork, uh, repetitions and you have all the springs on you're like damn it <laughs> like what do I do um, here like what you could do is you could just stand them up and have them do squats on one leg no, no no that's too hard probably not they just did 17 on one spring right and and if it if a single leg okay if you're doing 17 repetitions on one leg with every spring on the reformer and that does not prepare you to do one squat on one leg that footwork is not very good you need a better tool because like uh, every spring you have should get someone to go ahead and be able to do the task upright because what is that doing then <laughs> right now i know sometimes there's things like no this person has knee replacement or whatever but what i'm trying to say is like like the reformer is good and it'll get you stronger but then like there's a certain point where it's like it can only get you so strong and then, then it's important to, or it's, it's okay to acknowledge that and be like, hey, like I need other tools in my toolbox. Like I should like buy a kettlebell uh, for my Pilates uh, studio, um, right? That's a plug for kettlebells. I'm not part of the kettlebell corporations. I just think they should have, that you should have some. Um, so then like, like when your client's strong enough, you just hand them a kettlebell and you do single leg squats and they continue to get stronger. So that would be like a way to, to buy a strength, okay? If you can do more than 10, add more load. If you can't add load, get a new exercise. Now, if you cannot do more than 10, awesome. Keep going, okay? And what you do is you do more sets, okay? So if you can only do like seven, right? Like seven, like single leg footwork, right? And you do, let's say you do it like once in a session, then you do it once in a session again. Eventually, you should do that twice in a session, okay? And that's because uh, the volume is the number one predictor of people getting stronger. What volume is, volume is the total amount of sets you do of an exercise per week. So if someone comes in twice a week and you do single leg footwork two times, uh, you know, two times, seven repetitions, right? That is two sets, two sets of seven, okay? Now, if they come in, if, if you just keep doing that, right? They're gonna get stronger, but then you're gonna plateau at some point. Like they're not gonna get, they're not gonna exponentially get stronger and stronger and stronger, over time with the same stimulus. It, it's not the way uh, strength works. Now you can maintain strength, and sometimes that's fine with people. They don't wanna get stronger. They just wanna maintain and have a good time and talk about the caps. I have no problem with that. Do it, they love you, and super healthy, okay? Get them to meet activity guidelines though. Um, but let's just say that someone wanted to get stronger and we wanted to know how to get them stronger, right? Those are our assumptions, which aren't always the case, but let's say this is. Um, if you've been doing two sets of seven repetitions for a given exercise, such as single leg footwork, you eventually need to do three sets. But you don't have to do them all on the same day. You can, right, if it's appropriate. But three sets 
in one week is going to get you stronger than two sets in one week. Okay? So at the end of the day, volume is your biggest predictor of strength gains. Okay? And it doesn't matter the frequency, right? It doesn't matter if you do it like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you don't do any again until next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay? Volume at any frequency is the greatest predictor for strength gain. So as we, as we go ahead and we recap, right? It, it, muscles get stronger by adding load. If you can do more than 10 repetitions and you're trying to buy a strength, right? I'm not saying any exercise, right? We're not trying to buy a strength in any exercise. But if you're trying to buy a strength, you, the guideline that you go by is, or the guidance, it's not a guideline, but like it's a, it's a rule of thumb, would be if your client just did more than 10 repetitions of that exercise, you need to add load, okay? You need to add load. And if you can't add load, you need to, you need to, a new exercise that has more load. Okay. If your client can do less than, uh, less than 10, that's awesome. Keep doing it. But then over time, you need to increase their volume because volume is the number one predictor to get your client stronger. And volume is the amount of sets you do of a given exercise uh, per week. And with that said, that is this week's episode. If you loved this topic and you want to know exactly, like, like, you want to like stink your teeth in more and like understand the literature and know, know specific exercises you can do to build strength and muscle and Pilates, go ahead and, and check out the, the course in the show notes. It's called Building Strength and Muscle in, uh, in Pilates uh, at, uh, on the platform Evidence-Based Pilates. But other than that, go ahead and have an incredible week and I will see you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode and in return, I would love it if you could leave a positive review so that I know that you're listening and benefiting from this podcast. I do this 100% for free from my spare time and I just want to help the Pilates industry learn and grow and when reviews grow on a podcast, they become more visible and therefore more helpful to the community. Um, as always, you're welcome to, to reach out to me personally as well for any of your thoughts, as well as uh, requests for future episodes. And of course, if you'd like to learn more, you are welcome to go to the Evidence-Based Pilates platform with the link in my bio and browse any of the courses that we have to offer. Uh, have an incredible day.